Welcome to the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast. You can find this show on Spotify, the Apple Podcast app, and Google Play. Everybody should be following me on Instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge. If you want to support the show even further, my latest work, my first novel, Exodus 2035, is available on Amazon.com. My previous work, Hypocrisy in America, The Veil of White Supremacy, is also available on Amazon.com. Let's jump right into the stories this week. Racists in Illinois threatened to kill an eight-year-old girl. Keep that nasty black thing under control. Threat sent to family of interracial girl in Illinois. An Illinois family is working with police after receiving an anonymous letter threatening the eight-year-old interracial girl. You better keep that nasty black thing under control. Otherwise, you just might find it in a ditch somewhere, the writer said in the letter. Nothing but garbage. All of you, get out of this neighborhood. You are nothing but trash. Lena Heller, the great-grandmother of the child, opened the letter at her Canton home. The city is about 195 miles southwest of Chicago. The letter writer added, this is the first warning. When I opened it and I seen the letter, I got really mad and angry. I just wanted to go around and knock on everyone's door and find out where this letter came from, she said. What right do you have to say this to my granddaughter? My granddaughter is paranoid and she won't go off this street. And that's not right. When the little girl was asked what she thinks what would happen to her if she rode her bike around the neighborhood, the child said, my grandma, my mom, my my family might find me in a ditch. Like he said in the letter, this is a eight year old little girl who is afraid to leave the street, afraid to go outside and ride her bike and play as little kids do because some racists threatened to murder her. This is the America we live in. Now, this is an eight-year-old child. This is a little girl outside playing. Now, somebody done dropped an anonymous letter off at her grandma's house calling her a black nasty thing and saying, if you don't watch this thing, it may end up in a ditch. Think about that. That could have been a prime candidate for things white people say. An unprocessed knowledge podcast exclusive segment. Let's jump into the next story. NFL star Raiders wide receiver Antonio Brown has been in the news this week. I decided to talk about this story because let me be clear. I don't care about Antonio Brown's contract. I really don't care about what, what whatever social media antics he, he may <laughs> be partaking in. I, I really don't care about what team he plays for. But the thing that really grabbed me was before he was released by the Raiders, the, the big kerfuffle, kerfuffle was uh, 
he got in an argument with his general manager and apparently some it you know in the heat of battle some words were exchanged and, and Antonio Brown who was black for those who don't know he called his white general manager a cracker in the argument now when this news broke there was a buzz on social media where white people specifically were calling Antonio Brown a racist saying he used ra- racial slurs and he should be kicked out of the NFL for being a racist. Now, I thought this was very interesting. Oh, and they were also comparing cracker to the word nigger, by the way. Not afraid to say the word nigger on this podcast. So Antonio Brown, who's black, is racist because he got an. And. Uh, I don't want to say a heated debate. Basically, he got in an argument with his general manager and he called him a cracker. And that makes him a racist. Okay, I disagree with that. But the thing that, well, let me be clear. Um, I'm not one for name calling. I just think you know, name calling is not constructive, especially <laughs> in the system of white supremacy. The last thing black people should be doing is really name calling one another. But that's just my personal view. If you want to name call, name call. Knock yourself out. That's just not what I do. But I did some digging. The Oakland Raiders, they also have a football player on their team by the name of Richie Incognito, who I am familiar with. Richie Incognito was part of a bullying scandal in 2013 when he was a member of the Miami Dolphins and he was bullying his teammate, Jonathan Martin. Not only was he bullying him, he was using homophobic slurs and he was using racial slurs. Now, Richie Incognito is white. Jonathan Martin is a black man. Richie Incognito, who was under contract for the Oakland Raiders, called Jonathan Martin a half nigger and had been doing so for months, terrorizing this man. And when the story finally broke, mind you, this is back in 2013, Richie Incognito was not banned from the NFL. He was not kicked out of the NFL. And he himself plays for the Oakland Raiders. Now, Richie Incognito has been suspended for the first two games of the NFL season. Now, when I found this out, I did some digging and I found out. As reported by ESPN's Adam Schefter, Incognito has been suspended for the first two games for violating the league's personal conduct policy. Specifically, The suspension pertains to an incident that took place at a funeral home in August. Richie Incognito was making funeral arrangements for his late father. He went into the funeral home. He was acting erratically. He got upset with the staff. He started punching caskets because he said, and I quote, he wanted to cut his deceased father's head off i'm not making this up when the staff at the funeral home would not grant richie incognito access to his father's dead body he started terrorizing them punching caskets and he threatened to shoot the employees at the funeral home if they did not give him access to his father's body the police were called richie incognito was detained 
and firearms were found in his truck. He pled guilty to misdemeanor disorder conduct in March, two months before the Raiders signed him. Also around this time, another incident happened at, I believe, a gym where he not only he threw a tennis ball and a barbell at an individual and told that individual to get off his effing playground. He was evaluated by a psychiatrist for mental instability. Now, I found out that back in April, Richie Incognito actually retired from the NFL. The Raiders brought this dude out of retirement. Known racist. Bully. Potential mass shooter. (laughs) Terrorizing people everywhere he goes. They brought him out of retirement and gave him a contract and a job with the Oakland Raiders. Nobody is saying Richie Incognito should be banned from the NFL. Nobody is is talking about how crazy Richie Incognito is, what what a powder keg Richie Incognito is, how he's a, a terror in the locker room. Nobody's sitting around saying, well, when's the 30 for 30 on Richie Incognito coming out? But they are saying all these things about Antonio Brown. Also, Richie Incognito has a job in the NFL. Colin Kaepernick does not. Another thing that I thought of around the same time that these incidents were going on with Richie Incognito, there was another white NFL player by the name of Riley Cooper who played tight end for the Philadelphia Eagles who was caught on camera on a nigger raced tirade. He was attending a Kenny Chesney concert and he got upset because he couldn't get backstage to see Kenny Chesney and the security happened to be black. And he called them all kinds of niggers, said he would kill every nigger in there, how he would shoot these niggers and how these effing niggers <laughs> were just, you know, ruining his good time. This is all on video, by the way. And when the video came out, Riley Cooper was not punished by the NFL at all. But all of a sudden, Antonio Brown, he needs to go. Antonio Brown, he's racist. Antonio Brown, he's crazy. He he should be kicked out of the NFL. Well, they're not kicking none of these white players out for saying the word nigger. So I, I I guess the black you know the black players can say cracker all all they want. I mean the NFL doesn't that doesn't have any policies um against that. At least there is no president. The only thing you really can't do in the NFL is a uh, take a knee. Then you might find yourself you know standing next to Callan Kaepernick. Uh, blackball because it seems like everybody else is getting the second third fourth fifth chance in the nfl but colin kaepernick still doesn't have a job which moves me on to my next story not a sports show but a lot of things in the sports world related to racism happened this week that i just gotta touch on the dennis rodman 30 for 30 aired last night i have i don't watch a lot of espn I, I honestly don't but i am a fan of their 30 for 30 series i've caught quite a few of those i catch them when i can to be honest which for those that don't know espn has this documentary series that's called 30 for 30 but it's a documentary series on various sports figures almost all of them i would willing to say the greater part of 80 percent of all of these 30 for 30 documentaries 
mention racism in some shape form or capacity and quite a few of them are exclusively about race uh off the top of my head the one they did about oj simpson the one they did on Allen iverson they did one called the ghost of old miss they did another one i believe on the track and field stars back in the 60s that held a fist up that iconic picture of those track stars putting a fist up on the podium they did one of those those are all about race i am a fan of documentary series the 30 for 30 documentaries they are they're they're good they're very good you have to be able to you know espn ain't gonna give you the whole truth sometimes so you really got to watch it and you got to use discernment but the Dennis Rodman 30 for 30 aired last night. Now, I got a little bit of age on me. I remember all, you know, I, re- I know all about Dennis Rodman, the entire era. The Pistons, uh, Madonna, his brief stint with the uh, San Antonio Spurs, of course, his three-peat with the Bulls, five-time champion, defensive player of the year, all that. I, I know all that. The thing that I really <laughs> want to talk about when I was watching this 30 for 30 documentary series they went in depth on his background, which I, I didn't really know a whole lot about his personal life. I didn't know a whole lot about his his family life. I didn't know he was from Dallas, Texas. I, you know, I didn't know where he went to college. But apparently, Dennis Rodman he had some dis dysfunction in his home life. Uh, you know, his dad wasn't around. Him and his mom really weren't getting along. He ended up getting this college scholarship to Southeastern Oklahoma. He ends up going there to play basketball. Uh, a full ride from what I understand. So he he has access to the dorms. But he befriends this 13-year-old white kid. Mind you, Dennis Rodman is 22 years old at the time. Dennis Rodman actually didn't go to college till a little later. So he actually didn't go to college till his early 20s. So he's 22 years old. He's not homeless. He has a basketball scholarship he's actually the the basketball star of this college team he's averaging like 24 points and 18 rebounds a game and he befriends a 13 year old white kid in southeastern oklahoma so this becomes his best buddy now oh i'm skipping ahead dennis robin he's from dallas texas now when he first gets to oklahoma doing the documentary they're talking to I don't know if it was someone who was on the basketball team or, or lived in the area. Like, cause doing these 30 for 30s, they talk to various people that that the uh, the athlete came across or knew uh, within their lifetime. So some random white guy, I'm, I'm not exactly sure who he was, but he's from the Oklahoma area. And he says, and I quote, well, you know, at the time Rodman came here in 82, there may have been some pockets of people who may not have been as accepting of you know black people being in that era area you know they they may not have been as welcoming as they should have this is what the white person is saying so they cut to Dennis Rodman he's like oh yeah I got called nigger every day every day they was calling me nigger and telling me to get my black ass out of here and you know go back to where the hell you came from nigga we don't want you here (laughs) so this is this is a hell of a contrast between what Dennis Rodman is saying he experienced and the way this white man is trying to sugarcoat it. But anyway, 
So in Oklahoma, he befriends this 13-year-old white kid, and this ends up being his best buddy. You know, the white kid brings him home and, you know, asks if he could stay for dinner, and he ends up spending the night night sleeping in the kid's room. Then Rodman says he slept on the floor, and he woke up. The kid was sleeping next to him. Now, I'm thinking, this is kind of weird. You're 22 years old, and you're having a sleepover with some 13-year-old kid you just met, and you know, you're sleeping in his room and when you wake up, he's sleeping like right next to you. I'm like, you know, this sounds a little strange, but, you know, they say nothing happened. You know, it was just a sleepover. All right. OK, cool. So anyway, he ends up falling in love with this white family. Like he asks his white family to adopt them. Like he wants to be part of their family. He hates his real family. He wants to be part of this white family. <laughs> so the white family who he says saved him even though he had a place to stay and they took him in and you know this was the family that he never had he wanted to be a part of this family the mom not only is adamant that Dennis Rodman who is a young man at the time you know 22 years old at the time he meets his family she's adamant that he not date white women she says the way she was raised, white dates white, blacks date black. You're not supposed to be dating white women. That's something she disagrees with. She's not with the race mixing. And apparently, you know, they got into some type of confrontation about this, some type of dispute. You know, Dennis Rodman, he, you know, he gave her some pushback. He didn't agree with that. And she basically said, now, this is out of her, her own words. She's being interviewed for this 30 for 30. She was like, hey, I looked at him and said, now, look here, nigga. <laughs> you got to know your place. Now, once I seen that, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> this white woman that you're so in love with, who you want to adopt you, not only is she saying you should not be dating white women, but she calls you nigger with a hard ER <laughs> without hesitation. You know, you you know, you're 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 cool and you're you know, you're you're a part of the family and we'll take you in, but the minute you you step out of line, your name is nigger. Your name isn't Dennis. <laughs> Your name isn't, you know, college basketball star. It's look here, nigga. You know, don't step out of line now. So, and the thing that really grabbed me was Dennis Robin was like, oh, yeah, she said it. You know, people, you know, she called me nigga. People used to call me nigga. But I never looked at it as a racial thing. I, I never saw any anything racial about, about it. Now, if you're a black person in the South... And white people are calling your nigger and telling you to get your black ass out of here. And what you know, what what are you what are you doing around here, nigger? Okay, I understand. If if you don't let that bother you, that that's 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 code that's codification. That's courage. You don't let it bother you. You expect it. I understand. Okay, I don't have no problem with that. That shows toughness. But then to sit up and say, well. I really don't think race has anything to do with it. That is a red flag. That is something I don't understand. Race has everything to do with it. I mean, are, are they calling white people niggas? Are, are they telling white people, you know, get your black asses up out of here? What the hell are you doing around here? No, nah, they're saying that to you because you a big black man and they don't like black people. And when they don't like black people, your name is nigger. And you stay away from these white girls. 
and you get on that basketball court and you do what you're supposed to do. Now, for Dennis Rodman not to understand this, that shows a high level of confusion. And I won't get into other aspects of Dennis Rodman's life, but that high level of confusion makes a lot of sense when you look over his life at all the other antics and things that he got himself into on and off the court. That high level of confusion plays a part in all of that. I believe as Neely Fuller Jr. said, if you don't understand racism, white supremacy, everything else in life will confuse you. And in my opinion, and I'm not talking badly about Dennis Rodman, but in my opinion, Dennis Rodman is a prime candidate for that. Another thing I noticed a pattern of as I was watching this, this 30 for 30 and they, they, they talked about this, how, you know, he, this white family kind of just took him in. Keep in mind, he was already the basketball star of the college when they took him in. Like they just didn't just find him off the <laughs> the street. If Dennis Rodman was five foot two with no special athletic ability, if he wouldn't score 24 points and putting up 18 rebounds a game, if he didn't have a basketball scholarship, if he didn't have the potential to become a pro NBA player, these white folks wouldn't have invited this dude in their home at all. I noticed a pattern here, the blind side, the story of Michael Orr. <laughs> he ends up going to the NFL. LeBron James, when he was having some problems uh, with his family life, he actually had to go live with uh, his 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 basketball coach who, you know, took him in. And LeBron James, he ends up going to the NBA. There are quite a few professional athletes who have come from a background of family dysfunction who happen to get. And I'm using air quotes, take taken in by white families, white coaches, and then they end in, they end up going going pro. I suspect these white people are, they're scouting these black people, all right? Like I said before, they're, they're not taking in the, the black, the black, <laughs> the young black men who, who come from dysfunctional situations, who are five foot two, who can't, you know, jump, who can't run, who can't play any sport, who don't have any uh, great athletic ability. These aren't the black people that they're taking into their homes, all right? They just, you know, they they getting the ones that's six eight, <laughs> that's putting up twenty four and eighteen, and and that's got the college basketball scholarship. Those are the ones they want. And I know when these black athletes who have been taken in by these surrogate white families, when they make it to professional sports, I know they cut them in check. I just I I know it. I know it. That's a pattern that I notice. I've seen quite a few of these 30 for 30s. I've seen quite a few of these interviews with, with, with these athletes, and I've noticed a similar pattern there. Another thing I notice when it comes to sports, when they dig into the, when they do a, a human interest piece on a black athlete, if they come from a dysfunctional situation, they'll always dig into that past. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, pfft, my dad wasn't around, you know, my mom was strung out on drugs, 
you know, I grew up in a shelter. I had to get adopted by a white family. It was, you know, grew up in the middle of the ghetto, gun, gunshots and drug dealing every day. It, it was horrible. And now, you know, I'm, I'm a pro athlete. But when they do <laughs> these white pro athletes, either they don't talk about their home life and they just jump straight into, oh, well, you know, Julian Edelman, white all pro wide receiver he plays for the patriots and he has his charity and he does his great charity work and I, I'm, I'm just using him a, as an example though they won't talk about the home life they won't talk about his past but if they do talk about the past of a white athlete it's always oh yeah my dad was a dentist my mom was a lawyer <laughs> grew up in the church um, volunteered uh three times a week you know went to private school worked really hard um you know now i'm in the nfl and I'm giving back and things great. It's a complete contrast. I feel like they cherry pick the athletes that they want to spotlight and they cherry pick the narratives that they want to set. And they always want to shine the light on black dysfunction, family dysfunction. Oh, where'd you come from? Tell us how horrible it was. Tell us how negative it was. Tell us how, you know, your mom was on crack. Tell us how, you know, your pop wasn't around. They never do this to caucasian athletes the narrative is always painted something positive i believe former nfl star because i believe he's retired des bryant uh formerly with the dallas cowboys talked about when he was getting drafted into the nfl when he was at the uh, nfl combine and he was interviewing with different owners one of the owners asked him if his mother was a prostitute now you can look that up <laughs> so this is a pattern here where, where they control the narrative on these black athletes to make it seem like it's all just dysfunction there's there there are plenty of athletes professional in the nfl nba major league soccer whatever who don't come from family dysfunction but they'll never spotlight those they'll never show you that it's always it's always the extreme it's always the other end it's always you know these crazy niggas and you know Luckily, he could play basketball. He'd be, you know, in the ghetto somewhere. <laughs> He'd be in prison somewhere. He'd be dead somewhere. It's, it, it almost paints the narrative to young black people who look up to sports stars. It's like, you know, either you're going to make it to the NBA or, you know, you're going to die. You're going to end up in, in jail. You're going to end up in the ghetto. You know, family dysfunction. Um, the only the only hope you have of making it is, is to making it to the to the professional arena <laughs> and we all know the odds of becoming a, a pro athlete is, is slim to none right your odds are so much greater of becoming a doctor or a lawyer or or scientist starting your own business than it is of becoming a professional athlete everybody just don't got what it takes to, to be a pro athlete if you like playing sports if you enjoy playing sports play your sports but let's not you know let's not hitch our future on that but like I said, not a sports show, but there was a lot of racism related to sports this week. And that's what I wanted to touch on. But before I go, the highly anticipated, highly requested segment of the Unprocessed Knowledge Podcast, the reason all you guys are here things white people say here we go 
Pitbrough was on C-SPAN, and during her appearance on the show, a caller wanted to share her frustration at the notion of gun control. Let's hear what Teresa from Tennessee has to say. Being a prosecutor, um, I feel that the Democrats are attacking only white people's guns. And I'm not being racist, but what I'm saying is, we legally obtain our guns. We go to buy our firearms. We fill out background checks. No one is saying one word about taking the guns out of the hands of the gang members in Chicago, Baltimore, Philadelphia. I mean, to us, it feels like an attack just on our white community because we do the right thing. And just because the blacks in these communities vote Democrat, it's never mentioned the, the 50 people being shot on weekends by blacks and innocent blacks being shot and democrats say nothing about that look all right things white people say so apparently the democrats they want to take all the guns away from white people and they want black people to have them all that's <laughs> things white people say but hey this has been the unprocessed knowledge podcast once again you can catch this show on the apple podcast app spotify google play follow me on instagram at unprocessed underscore knowledge if you want to support the show even further my latest work the latest novel exodus 20 35 is available on amazon.com and paper and paperback and kindle form everybody go out there and check that out check that out share with a friend give me a review if you got kindle unlimited you can let somebody borrow the book everybody go out and support that guys let's take this to let's let's take this to number one guys let's take this to number one i guarantee you're going to enjoy it and reviews are important if you got if you get this book or my previous work hypocrisy in america the veil of white supremacy if you got it take 30 seconds drop me a review those reviews are important guys hey if you like what you hear share the show Follow me on social media, hit the like button, drop me a comment, anything you want me to touch on, anything you want me to break down, let me know under the flyer for the show when I drop it on Instagram. I will catch you guys next time. Be safe.